a Podcast One production. The truth about starting a business, crafting a career, having a family and managing to fit it all in. Superwomen We Ain't. From the founder of Boost Juice, Janine Ellis, and leading executive and career coach, Margie Hartley. Welcome to Superwomen We Ain't Season 2. I'm Margie Hartley. And I'm Janine Ellis. And today in Episode 8, we're going to talk about connecting to your customer. What does it mean to actually be customer-led? How do you do it and how do you know you're doing it? Do you know what I find, Margie, when mm-hmm. I actually deal with businesses is the big corporates, you know, particularly the banks at the moment, they're all talking about we are a customer-led business, right? We are, you know, this is what we do and this is what you need to do. And all the, they go off and they get all these consultants to come in and go, for you to change your ways, you have to be customer-led. And so this customer-led lingo is coming out of every corporate executive's mouth at the moment. But what is customer-led? And I actually think most of them wouldn't know a customer-led business if it bit them on the bum. So how can you be customer-led if you wait on hold for 30 minutes for a Foxtel connection? How do you? You can't. How do you be customer-led if you ring up a business and you get an answering machine telling them to have five choices? That's not customer-led. To be a customer-led business, you actually truly have to give a shit about your customer. And most people focus on the wrong things. Yeah, we talk, we've talked about in the past episodes, you know, you need cash and all that sort of stuff. That's all very well and you need that. But you need to give your customer every single day a reason to open their wallet and give you some of their money in there. The only reality that comes from a customer-led business is that. Mm. And look, I'll be with teams and organisations and I'll ask them what their priorities are and they'll say, oh, we're customer-led, we're here for the customer. Voice of the customer is number one. And then when I ask them the question, who is your primary beneficiary? Who are you doing or who are you doing the work for? They say, oh, shareholders. So there is a real conflict there, even though we're saying we're customer-led or the customers are most at the centre of all we do, there's this conflict because people are actually then drawn to making money for the shareholders. Now, here's the thing. Does it mean that they're exclusive? Does it mean that we can't do both things? It's not about not being able to do both things. It's prioritising. See, there is three priorities in every business that you need to focus on. The first priority is number one is customer. Number two is your staff and number three, shareholders. You know what? Number the shareholders will look after themselves if you get one and two right. So you have to constantly stop. If you're listening to this right now, stop and think about your business, right? If you've got someone who is dealing with customer service who doesn't like people, then rethink it. You know, if you have a business that you're not enabling your customers to give you feedback, then shame on you. You know, we need to be able to embrace this customer-first, customer-led business. I had an experience with an insurance company that I'd been with for almost 20 years. And over that time, um, I would get a call from what a lady who I felt like was my auntie every year and different ones, but she would ask me how I was going with my insurance. Did I have any changes? Was anybody new driving a car? And the year that my youngest daughter went to get her licence was the year that it became fully automated online. And so I didn't tick the box that said that Grace had got her licence. 
uh, there wasn't a box for it. It was normally just a question that I got asked and I forgot to declare that. And so Grace had a small bingle that wasn't her fault and it cost me $4,500 because, in my mind, I hadn't been called by the business, by the insurance company. And I felt by going online, it actually made my life harder. It cost me more money and I actually, they weren't thinking about the customer at all. So they're the mm. sort of examples I like to think about when we say, are we truly customer led? Oh yeah, we've fully automated our businesses. Well, that's fine. Is that what everybody actually wants and needs? Mm. No, you're so right. The story you just mentioned about that customer experience you had is really relevant to getting the right people in the right roles. So you buy from people who you like. You know when you go to a restaurant and you might go to a pizza place and the guy, the pizza guy is one of those classic Italian guys that comes to the table and gives you a red wine and it's really crap red wine, but it doesn't matter, he's happy and you smile and, you know, it's all good. And the pizza's, you know, it's okay, but you know what, the pizza, the pizza tastes just that bit better. The reverse is also true. You can go to a fine restaurant and have the most exquisite meal put in front of you, but if the waiters are too cool for school, then you find the meal is just a little bit sour. Mm. So it's really important that with customers, it, it takes more than the product. It takes the experience they have to actually make it a great experience. Mm. I like this idea if you've got to believe in it and not just pay this lip service to being a customer or customer-led, don't put it on a mouse pad and leave it in your office. Actually make it really clear um, and believe it uh, because otherwise nothing will nothing will work. That is the key to this, is believing it. If you've got a CEO that says, oh, hang on, my consultant said I have to be customer-led, so oh, by the way, business, we're customer-led, right, then you're not going to go anywhere. But if that that leader truly believes it, then he will have things in the business, he or she will have things in the business like we have a 24-hour return phone call policy or whatever that policy is. But first thing that goes through their mind before anything else is, is this decision good for the customer? So for example, you, know, you, you talked about the going automated. I, I remember one time I had to call someone from the office and I didn't know their direct line. And I called reception, my, my reception, and I got that automated recording. You know, this is, you know, Boost Juice, welcome to, to Boost Juice. Um, please call one for this, two for this. And I was just, by the, by the end of it, I felt like I wanted to shoot someone. And I sat there, and, I, and because I am customer focused, I sat there and I went, okay, I'm a customer. I have just had a bad experience at the store and I'm ringing up the support centre to express my concerns and need some support. So I'm already angry. So I've picked up the phone, I've called and I've got Miss Robot Girl telling me to to wait for number five or six or and then I, that does it and it goes to the wrong place. And, and I thought, what is that about? And so I then recognised in our business that we had looked at the bottom line and we're focusing on the shareholders, not focusing on the customer. And that pretty much got thrown out that day. <laughs> a company I love is Mercedes-Benz. Now, I went to buy a car last year. I lease a car and I went and had a look at a car at um, and two other competitors. I rang up to book in a, um, a test drive with one of those other companies and they said, when do you want to purchase the car? Complete out frame. I just said, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I hadn't been led through any journey of asking me about me and what I wanted to buy. 
The other company I went and lined up to have a look at the car on a Saturday morning and there were a number of us waiting and I was ignored three times by the person who was the the major salesperson in the room. And whether it was in me and my exercise gear, I'm not claiming bias, but I got put down the back of the line um, as opposed to the other people who'd come in looking for and I... I, Wearing a suit, potentially. And the receptionist was really apologetic, but there was no changing that. So I left. And then I walked into Mercedes-Benz and I said, I'm really interested in leasing a new car. And he said to me, so what do you need the car for? What would you like to do with it? What are the things that you'll be using it for? Tell me a bit more about your lifestyle. Okay, and what are you thinking about if I showed you these? Okay, and what are your preferences? I felt so valued and so like he was really interested in me, even though I understood there were a number of sales techniques in there. And then he said, would you like to just take the car for a drive? And I said, I'd love that. He said, okay, gave him a licence. He said, just come back when you're ready. Complete trust. Six weeks later. Yeah, not quite. (laughs) I drove back and he basically had the sale there and then. I loved driving the car. It was great. Yes, of course, it's an expensive car and I understand that. But the service then, when I go in now for a service... I drive in, I get I get welcomed, I get text message reminders, I get asked questions, it's not overdone and I'm out the door. So people would say I pay for that service, but I have to tell you, Mercedes-Benz just won number one in customer service mm. and customer-led NPS across all cars um, and car service in the country. And it gets down to what you said, training. It gets stuck to knowledge because not only all very well having a friendly person, but if they're not trained, they can't give you the information about the car, there's no point. One of the businesses I really do like is Apple. And the reason I like Apple and the reason I like companies like Apple is they understand that it's not one element that that makes their business success. It's a number of them, you know. Mercedes, you know. Nice car, right? You went into the environment. I'm sure it was a beautiful showroom. The person was well-educated and well-informed and well-trained on sales. So you, the whole overall experience with your Mercedes experience was perfect. He made me feel like I was worth talking to and that I was actually legitimately going to own a car. Correct. So interesting, we've just talked about Mercedes. You haven't even told me how it's drived. So it's actually, fact, it's the experience. Fully. So, so Apple's the same. I walk into an Apple store and I already immediately feel 35% cooler, right? <laughs> you know, so I feel like, you know, there's people around who are incredibly well-trained. They know what they're talking about. They really try and understand what my purchasing needs are and what problem I want to solve. So you people have to understand that Apple isn't necessarily the best computers on the planet. In actual fact, I think my son can make a computer that's better than Apple. But what they have is they have the whole package. They have the customer service right. They have the product right. They have the branding right. They have the after-sales service. All very well for you to actually buy your Mercedes and off you go, honey. But what happens if something breaks down? Do people, they just, do they go, no, forget it? Or do they really truly understand you as a lifetime customer? So in summary, customer-led means you believe in it, the customer is number one, and there are multiple dimensions and touch points to actually bringing that to life. Yeah, you can't fake it. 
You're listening to Super Women We Ain't with Margie Hartley and Janine Ellis. If you like listening to the show, please do get in touch on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen and let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button and continue to listen for free. Okay, so let's talk about what you can do to be a customer-led business. This day and age in business, technology is allowing us to track the cost of acquisition of customers so much more. So people get actually quite surprised that to acquire a customer sometimes is more expensive than actually the purchase that they've made. So what do you mean by acquiring a customer? Is that like the marketing Yeah, part? correct. So, okay, you're, you're wearing you know, a very nice outfit, I must say. But that outfit you might have bought for $100, right? Your T-shirt or maybe just the button was $100. I don't know really how, what design it is. But anyway, we'll the keep, whole we'll lot, keep it. The whole lot to $100. <laughs> you're good so, with that. So, okay, so you've bought it for $100. Now, you've gone to a particular shop for that, for that outfit that you're wearing and you might have gone into that shop because you saw an advertisement for, for that. So that advertisement might have cost that company that bought that T-shirt, that you bought that T-shirt from, $100 to get you to go and buy that T-shirt, right? So it's, it's how much it costs for you to be a customer. And so what people are realising is it's bloody expensive to get customers, really expensive. And so suddenly they're going, well, actually... I need to now think of other ways and more creative ways of getting our customers. Or more importantly, once I have you, I need to keep you because I can't keep buying customers for $100 per T-shirt or I'll go out of business. Mm -hmm. So I need you, Margie, now that I've got you as a customer, I need to treat you like gold. So you're going to go and buy some jeans and then a jacket to go with that jeans and some earrings to go with that jeans. So hopefully that $100 to acquire you I can then sell you another $1,000. That's what people need to do in business is understand the value of every customer and that's where people get it wrong. So it's a really a very much around the value. Again, we talked earlier about how I felt when I went into a store or how I felt that allowed me to come back. So this is about once we're getting a customer, let's really value them. I've got a client who... Um, had somebody in charge of membership in their business. So it was a member-based organisation. And the people in the room were talking about these members like they were some sort of alien beings. And actually, here they were, their customers. So imagine how they felt when they were being spoken to mm. by those people who are customer-facing. I was so paranoid. Like, I, I'm built customer-led, right? Mm. I find that if even if I'm working in store and I'm watching someone from a distance and they do that, I'm waiting too long dance. Like, they look at their clock, they take their left foot, right foot, they step left, right, they look at their clock, they frown, right? I just go, oh, my God, I'm not delivering all my promise to that customer, right? So I'm one of these obsessive people about customer service. So... But what I thought about when I was actually growing Boost was how do I grow from one store and get that great customer experience because I've got that sole focus to, you know, 600 stores in 15 countries, right? How do I make sure that every single experience is the same? I think that you're truly customer-led. Customer-led. So first and foremost, it's training. Like, you know, we talked about training through um, Mercedes. So how do I train my staff to be informative and to be those great people? First and foremost, we do not train our staff to be enthusiastic and give great, great customer service. We hire enthusiastic people who like people, 
right? So you've got to get that piece right, right? I know I've halfed on about it, but people get it bloody wrong, I mean, seriously. The second thing is your training. You make sure you give them the information and you make it so we can monitor it. All very well giving them the information without monitoring it. So we do a five-star, bit like Uber campaign, plus we make sure that we make it very easy for people to complain, really easy to people complain. So that's a very relevant and new focus for a lot of businesses, being open to customer complaints. I recently complained to a restaurant after a really shoddy experience. I went on their website, I wrote them an email, I still haven't heard from them. Now, I will never ever step foot in their um, multiple restaurants across Sydney, never ever go there again. And I'm telling plenty of people, but the complaint wasn't taken seriously. Tell me about your obsession with complaints and feedback? Well, first and foremost, I normally start with this. I'm never coming to Boost again, right? I had this horrific experience from this girl who served me this drink. I said to her it wasn't filled from the top and she went, well, you're the only one that's complained. I am never coming to Boost again, like that type of thing, right? I don't actually care if she's right or wrong. I don't care if that woman had the worst day of her life and she took it out on us. I don't care about that. All I care about is her perspective. Her perception is that she had bad experience. Whether she did or didn't, I don't really care. So for me, I think it's such a great opportunity for businesses to jump on a negative complaint that I don't understand why they don't take it. They don't take it and relish it because your loudest customers that will complain are the loudest customers that will go tell their friends, right? So to take these customers who you know are noisy and turn them into raving fans, that's the secret of business. All right. So I'm going to ask you a really important question here and hopefully you can give out the secret sauce. How do you do that at Boost? How do you turn someone from someone who's unhappy into a raving fan? Well, first and foremost, it's not about fault. I don't go to whose fault it is. All I do is listen. I apologise. I ask, I give them a free card because I want them to give us another go. Give us another chance. We, we obviously failed you our first time or 10th time, whatever time you've, you've come to our store, but give us another chance. And please, if we don't get it right, let us know. I don't leave it there. I will listen to the complaint and I'll go and speak to the store, right? And give them that feedback. And so hopefully over these years of doing it, the stores don't get defensive. Instead, they go, okay, geez, thank you for letting us know. We're going to make some changes. If it continues to happen, we will put trainers in at their cost. So we will constantly, we won't let it go because we are truly customer-led. So we want to make sure every customer has a great experience. And the reality is with 600 stores in 15 countries, we're not going to get it right all the time. The other thing I do, and I've done this from day one, is there is a guarantee in every single store. In the older stores, it goes for a bit longer. It basically says... If you come to Boost, you will be delivered with a smile, with a great tasting smoothie, served in an atmosphere that makes you feel just that little bit better, right? Now it says, because we give a sip, if you don't like it, we'll replace it, right? Short, sharp. So what that does is it reminds our staff, it reminds our managers, it reminds our customers that we actually give a shit or sip. We can leave it to sip, right? And so it's by putting it out there to say, tell us when we get it wrong. We'll, if we get it wrong, we'll replace it. Every drink is made fresh. It is actually putting it out there that we are a customer-led business. It's amazing because it lacks arrogance. It lacks because you don't feel like you're right all the time. It also trusts the customer. 
That's what I like about it. You're trusting your customer to be able to give you truthful feedback. You're not sitting there suspiciously saying, oh, we're going to get ripped off by people complaining about things that don't exist. And that humility of being able to actually say we're here for you. The reality is we don't get it right all the time. Equipment breaks down. Our staff have a bad day. You know, we don't get it right all the time. And it's just acknowledging that and having mechanisms in your business to ensure you can fix things. The other thing I think with customers is, you know, people go, oh, I have my 20% of the customers that come regularly and 80% of the customers that don't. I've got to focus on that 80% because if I can get those 80%, then life would be okay or the business will succeed. Wrong. Focus on the 20. You know, 20% of your customers makes up 80% of your business anyway. So focus on that 20 and grow that 20 to 21, 22, 25% of your business. That is the secret by really focusing on your dead loyal customers. The other thing, the other tip I would give people is to surprise and delight your customers. What do you mean by surprising and delighting? Okay, so in my world, in, in Boost Juice Bars, if a customer wants to come to our stores every single day and they have it, right, first and foremost, know their name and make their smoothie before they even get to the counter, which a lot of the stores do. The other, the other point I would make is that give them a T-shirt. Give them a free drink every now and then. Just say thank you for being, actually genuinely say thank you for choosing us because they can open their wallet every day and go somewhere else. Give them a reason every single day to open the wallet for us. Great. And again, I'll say, listen to the narrative that's being spoken about customers, because if people are calling them, I used to be a tour guide in one of my former um, lives, my career guide. A tour guide. Uh, yeah, a tour guide on, on coaches throughout Europe. And it was amazing. It was an incredible experience. But some of the tour leaders would call the passengers billies, billy goats. So they were following others. Oh. And actually, those tour leaders were the ones that actually got really poor results at the end. You always got valued, you always got evaluated. So this idea about calling your members, oh, the stupid members, or these are the, these customers, or these annoying customers, or these complainers, actually digs right down. If you say it, then it comes out in your actions. The other thing I wanted to say can is... Can I just, on yeah. that point, and that was what I was saying about the raving fan. Mm. So if you turn around and say... Oh, the bloody customer, she's whinging about this, for God's sake. Instead of going, oh, my God, what's her complaint? Awesome. Let's convert them. Like Beautiful. It's, it's a mindset. It is. It's fantastic. I work with another organisation, a massive organisation, and they take all their leaders out for one day and they actually have to go and experience what they call the front line. So it's a major bank. And I know the banks aren't in favour at the moment, but they do a great job in taking people out of their towers, taking them out into the environment where the customer truly is. And those experiences really help. So my thing that I encourage everybody to do, even in my business, if they're administrative, is to come to the team days and they can't come to the private coaching sessions, but come to the talks I do and 
meet the people that we're interacting with every single day. It's so important. It's funny you say that. We I had a meeting with my um, managing director of Boost Juice Bars the other day and she was talking about that we were analysing our recent promotion that we did. And so we sat around the room and everyone went around and they, they all said what they thought and how they thought it went and, and they gave themselves a rating and they, you know, they proudly said how amazing this campaign was all the way around. And then it got to the person who actually was in store and the person who'd gone and visited 40 stores and probably out of those 40 stores probably about did about 35 hours worth of hours behind the counter. And she said, oh, give us about a five. She said it was late, it broke, no, you hadn't come to store in the first place to know how the promotional worked, you made it too complicated for the staff. And so it was a real example of Sometimes in corporate, they live in their ivory towers and they make decisions without truly understanding what the customer wants or the customer needs. So to your point, get out of your seat. Go and actually talk to the customers. Sit in front of them and ask them what do they want, not what you think they want. So Janine, in summary, we're saying every level of business needs to live and breathe the customers. They need to actually say it, believe it and get out there in front of their customers. So we've talked about the why and how of being customer-led. Now, how do we check if we really are customer-led? I think a business who doesn't embrace getting the customers into their office and actually asking them the question, or a business that doesn't do qualitative and quantitative research on their customer is not a customer-led business. I agree. Because some businesses actually don't want to know because they might actually say some really terrible things about me. A business that wants to sit in an office and actually not face and look into the eyes of their customer is not a customer-led business. Yeah. So how do you get real-time feedback? So as a facilitator and a team person uh, doing all those things, I often get feedback forms back and I call them the happy sheets. Everyone in the moment thinks it's fantastic and gives me a five out of five. Thank you or a four out of five. So they're, they're the happy sheets. We're in the moment. That was great. But actually, where's the real feedback is if this is stuck three months later? Mm. Where are those things? How do we actually get and know that from people? And real feedback. So how do you get it at Boost? Well, we many ways. We we do the quantitative and qualitative research, which is, you know, you have your customer advisory boards. They come in and they go, well, what do you think? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Do you like this smoothie? So we're constantly talking to them. Uh, our social media is, is, is massive. We have a lot of fun with our social media, but we also track it. You know, what's the positive feedback? What's the negative feedback? We have, you know, that 24-hour return call policy. So making sure if a customer complains that we get back to them and actually find their solution, but not just find their solution, as a tick box, but genuinely solve their problem. So it's just a care factor to actually really do every, everything you can. There are so many touch points that you can actually touch into businesses. What we tend to do is let's create an app for that or a system. You know what? Just freaking ask, ask them. Ask them. And I think it's important not just to embrace feedback or think it's important, to love feedback. As you said, when you wanted to turn the complainer into a raving fan, your mindset is all about love feedback. Give it to me, give it to me, because this is a gift, is the old saying, feedback is a gift, and it allows you to curate and create the best version of your business. When was the last time you were a customer 
of your own business. So, for example, uh, we're, we're doing a lot of... Um, been a customer of your business a lot lately. <laughs> Thank you. Can you keep that up? That'd be great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're doing a lot of deliveries at the moment, whether it's Deliveroo or Uber or whatever, who else we're trialling. But what we're doing is I'm actually going into those areas and actually ordering food. Is it coming fresh? Is it coming the right order? I'm being my customer. I go down to Boost. It's very hard sometimes for them not to know who I am, but I will be a customer. What was the experience like? I'll, before I even go to the counter, I'll stand there and look. What does the store look like? Is it clean? Is it, is it inviting? Is it someplace? Is it a place that I'd like to go? So it's really important that you're a customer of your business, but also a customer of, of your competitors. You know, what are they doing? Well, how are they treating their customers? What can you learn from them? Okay, here's a tricky question. In my business, it's really hard to be a customer of other people's talks or team days because it's a closed shop. We're always working client to provider. And in an executive coaching session, really hard. You can't step into anybody else's business. So there's a lot of secrecy around that. What if there's similar businesses, those services type business, how do you test? Well, it's this surely in even in your industry, there is someone that you feel like you could learn from. So even if you, and they're probably a genuine competitor, they might be at another league, other upper or lower. And sometimes people think that they have to go to the the pinnacle to learn. There is a lot of young and up and coming ones that are doing a great job that you can learn from as well. Great. So it's actually just being a customer of your competitor. And it doesn't mean that you can't learn. It doesn't mean you can't pick up things from them. There's every, it's that whole thing we've talked about through this season is about not being arrogant to think you know everything. Well, in fact, I embraced my competitor recently, not literally, a, um, a few of, uh, and, and I continue to do that rather than thinking about people who do what I do as competitors, I'm actually being able to reach out and connect with them and know that there's enough for most of us to actually, enough business for all of us to, Ab- to get. So absolutely. that's actually been really helpful and some collaborations come out of it. So I think we have to be careful not to just think as everything is competition, but to embrace the feedback, love the feedback. Mm, absolutely. So look, I would summarise it as, you know, don't live in your ivory tower. Actually get out there, eyeball your customers and truly find out what's going on. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about what do I want to be when I grow up? Superwomen We Ain't is a Podcast One production recorded in the studios of Podcast One Melbourne. Executive producer is Grant Tothill, produced by Brooke Carrigan, audio by Darcy Thompson. Listener.